welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. James Bond is still on assignment, so I'm his fill-in host again, James Page from mi6-hq.com. And we have a good gathering of Bond commentators this week. We have David Lee, Calvin Dyson, Bill Koenig, and Mark O'Connell. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys, and tell people how they can find you online? Hi there, this is David Lee here. I run the James Bond dossier website jamesbondossier.com and I am the author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. And I'm Calvin Dyson and I run the uh, Calvin Dyson YouTube channel um, where I post video reviews, opinions, uh, vlogs uh, about all things to do with James Bond. And I'm Bill Koenig. I run the Spy Command. And I'm Mark O'Connell, bullet catcher, writer, author of uh, Catching Bullets, Memoirs of a Bond fan, and hello. Hello, guys. So I was putting the show notes together for this week a couple of days ago, and um, I had the category Bond 25 news, which we should cover first, and uh, it had no bullet points um, until 48 hours ago because we had some news break um, with Eon finally confirming that Craig did in fact get injured in Jamaica and he did in fact have surgery and he is going to take two weeks off. But filming will continue apace without the schedule being tossed. Does anybody have any comments about how the media covered this whole debacle and Eon's approach to it? I just like how you uh, said, you know, news broke and you could have said, and so did an ankle, but uh, you avoided (laughs) that. So, yes. So is this why he's got the intimacy coordinator? Perhaps is that you know like an ankle massage? Is it is it to well, do with that? It's to, to help him get his leg over. <laughs> I, I thank well, was it was it related? Uh, they were they were shooting an intimate scene, but uh, they weren't coordinated. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean this has happened before. It tends to often be on the fourth film as well. Didn't Pierce Brosnan have like a die another day knee injury on one of the hovercrafts and? Yeah, I'm sure um, Roger Moore probably nearly got shot. I think in the uh, Stromberg in, in 1977 and all of that. Um, yeah, it's I. I mean, it's the press doing their usual thing. They seem to have a, the real knives out for Craig in this particular film. I, I partly wonder if it's just like a it's it's just it's not Brexit, so we're just going to at- attack a Bond film and then the same day talk and l- lament it and be kind about it. But it's it's an ankle injury. It's you know. Everyone's. Uh, it would be annoying for anyone to have that, but a whole Millennium Falcon fell on Harrison Ford. So um, I think I think the film will survive. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, it's weird that the way that the tabloids have uh, dealt with this in a way because just uh, to, to start with, it was like ankle injury, uh, filming cancelled, and uh, all these kind of screaming headlines. But then um, now. After it's been announced that, um, in fact, he, he did does have a, an injury and he's going to be operated on, and uh, it, it seems to have calmed down, and that, that they're, they're, they seem to be a bit less um, panicky than, than before. So uh, it's it's just the way the tabloids operate, isn't it? On a previous installment, Mark, where Mark wasn't here, I, I remarked about how the Rupert Murdoch tabloids in particular, one in the UK, one in the US, like seem to have the knives out. It was, and they like repeated the same talking points. I don't know if they were coordinated or not, but it was just, it was very strange. I mean, the Daily Mail got into the act and the Mirror got the act, but those two in particular, the Murdoch ones in particular, were like going after it. Um, I'm, I was talking to some people via Twitter um, you know, there have been other instances of stars, you know, 
getting hurt sometimes very seriously. It's like much, you know, much more serious than Craig appears to have been hurt in this. Um, you know, that stuff happens sometimes. Was it Quantum of Solace where he lost the like the tip of one of his fingers, which seems like a far more um, serious kind of injury? I, I, think, and, I, uh, I think that's the way it was reported. I, I think he said that uh, he lost the pad of his finger. It's the pad. Uh, yeah. Mm. And we've had, sadly, we've had worse incidents on Bond. Um, right. There's been some fatalities due, you know, due to stunt teams. Right. Sometimes these things happen. They they calculate and train and do everything to not let that happen. They are utter pros. But I, I know in the Cortina scenes, yes. there's only one of the Bob Sled uh, stunt guys um, you know, didn't make it, sadly. And it, it's not a good thing for, you know, it, it hits production. It kills kills the mood as well uh as well as maybe kills a uh, sadly a member of crew but um they're also uber cautious you know more now more so than ever so i'm i'm sure there's this is bound and uh, you know cotton wood with a lot of precaution and eon will, will daniel craig will be probably getting the best ankle specialist in the world right now also in with a movie, you have more flexibility than, you, than say, with mm. a weekly TV show. There's an example with a uh, 1960s American show. I'll, I'll spare you the details. But basically, the star who was renowned for doing his own stunts fell rather badly. And they I think they had to shut down production for like six weeks or so. And as a result, for that season, they had fewer episodes than normal. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so whereupon with the movie, it's a longer production, you know, it, with uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, Tom Cruise broke his ankle, a much more severe injury than Craig suffered with, in Bond 25. And they did things like they pulled up scenes without Tom Cruise to be filmed earlier and all this, that, and the other. So, you know, the, the Twilight Zone movie, uh, An Act Lost His Life. Was, yeah. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Vic Morrow and two kids. Yeah. Hmm. That was a slightly different scenario, sadly. That was a, a, a little more oversight than possibly what, uh, what happened here in Jamaica. So my question is, a week had passed, the stories had died down. Why issue a statement at that point? I wondered that myself because... Like the horse has already bolted. The, I mean, you've missed your window. The time to do it would have been a day or two after, as opposed to eight or nine days after. Yeah, it's the the problem is with Eon. They always seem to be uh, reactive to this kind of stuff uh, instead of being proactive about it and and actually thinking, ah, maybe it'd be a good idea to to issue something to the press now. So uh, you know, the, the, you get all the stuff in the press and all the the Bond fan uh, forums are, and 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 um, social media is is ablaze with, oh my God, what's happening? Oh you know, it's going to be terrible because of this and everything else that's happening. And, yeah, as we said, the, the reality is, is, is very, very different. And it's just that, uh, yeah, that they, they need to own it more. Well, I referenced the Mission Impossible Fallout example. In that mm. case, the director got out front fairly quickly, not necessarily instantaneously, but he was like doing interviews. Well, we'll adjust the schedule. We'll do this. We'll do that. In real life, they were like, they were still filming like within weeks of the release date. So I think it was actually a really bad, more bad injury than we realized at the time in terms of how it affected the schedule. But by the director getting out there, 
you know, it kind of calmed everything down. And and the thing is, the director is Chris, Christopher McQuarrie. He's like really tight with Tom Cruise. So he had Cruise's trust to do that. But anyway, that's, that's an example of how you kind of get out in front and kind of calm everybody down in this hyperactive social media age. I was just disappointed that none of the tabloids ran with the headline, oh, do sit down, 007. (laughs) (laughs) So the other bit of news that popped out this week was um, Leia Sadu got, you know, red carpeted with questions about Bond 25 when she was trying to promote another film she was making and uh, revealed that she didn't do any shooting in Jamaica and she hasn't done any shooting on the film yet. So that kind of goes with our theory that she's probably not going to make it much past the titles. Well, at the very least, she won't have that much running time. Put it that way. <laughs> well, she might have to do all the running from, from the house. Hop along. <laughs> Sorry, bad, bad gag. Bad. <laughs> In fact, I'm, I'm surprised that didn't get more attention than it uh, maybe deserved. Maybe, maybe not. Just, I mean, I thought it was interesting just because, like, as James said, it kind of, well, that kind of ties in with like fans, you know, working assumptions, but... Well, the, the other part it contradicts is Fukunaga saying he was so glad she was going to come back because he wanted to further explore her character. Yes. He, and that and was. So is she going to be in it for eight minutes? I mean, is that exploring it? Oh, that's that's the exploration. Well, we need another eight minutes. <laughs> so, David, you had a couple of pointers about potential characters hanging around Jamaica long after the. Long after the principles yeah, of yeah, yeah. Right? It's just that um, I've. I've only recently got into Instagram. In fact, I really started on Instagram uh, when you started the MI6 Instagram, and um, uh, and, and quite quite coincidentally, and and, uh, and uh, so just been messing about with that a bit and uh, trying to get to grips with it. But uh, been following the Bond Twenty Five actors and Lashana um, Lynch and Dali uh, Benshala. I, I hope. Uh, pronounce it something like that um they seem to have uh, been uh, in jamaica uh when uh, after the first unit left because uh, they've been posting stuff on instagram still and i you know it could be that it's stuff that they they recorded when they were there but uh it uh it, it seems like that they are still there or they were there until uh, recently and it might have been something to do with that um, little stunt sequence we saw being filmed, perhaps. It certainly may have been something to do with that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and the, the other thing that uh, Jeffrey Wright's been uh, sharing stuff on Instagram on the um, Instagram uh, stories, but he always posts his his Instagram videos sideways for some reason. <laughs> I, I don't know if he hasn't quite uh, got to grips with his phone. I, I was wondering that about him actually, because I was wondering is if he'd only just come on Instagram if that was some encouragement, you know, to start posting about the filming or something. And he hasn't quite figured it out because I only started following him like since you know uh, he was announced he was going to be in Bond twenty five. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it could be that he does it on purpose for something because he, he's <laughs> he's quite a character, and uh, so he, maybe he's doing it on purpose for for some reason which may emerge. But uh, yeah, I I think he just hasn't worked out how to use his <laughs> uh, Instagram with his phone yet. And the other the other piece of news that popped out was there's going to be some more Norway filming. 
in yes. early June. Because we, you know, some speculated that we were done with Norway and it was just going to be that lake sequence, but uh, it looks like they're going back for some other stuff. Right, because uh, Fukunaga had that uh, short video of uh, all the rain coming down against the the windshield of the vehicle he was in. Um, yeah, because, which everybody thought everybody thought was Scotland, Scotland because, yes. mi- cause the yes. we- because the weather was miserable. It's got to be yes. Scotland. And yes, because because uh, uh, I, I I tweeted you both and and I, I think and uh, for me it looked like Scotland and. Uh, I used to fly up to Scotland once a week, so I know what it looks like from the air pretty well. And uh, I thought that's that is Scotland, so they were right about that. But yeah, you're right; it could very well be Norway. And, but it, and I agree, David, because it reminded me of those um, of Skyfall when uh, Bond and M were like in the DB5 driving in Scotland. The the terrain looked very similar. So maybe for for budgetary reasons, uh, including Norway um, inv- uh, investing God knows how many millions in Bond 25, Skyfall is actually going to be Norway this time. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the remnants. The remnants of, yes. <laughs> so, so is there any other takeaways for Bond 25 this week, guys? Because it's been, it was pretty quiet up until two days ago. No, it just you can argue whether... Um, you know, Eon should be more proactive in PR, but as I have, but <laughs> yes. not, but but not really. No, just it seems to be everything's percolating along, which is not a sexy storyline. But the star having surgery <laughs> is sexier for at least for tabloids. So there you go. Yeah, but but compared <laughs> with the the period before anything uh, appeared to be happening uh, in the lead up to to the um, the April announcement uh, this is sexy yes <laughs> <laughs> did you guys talk about in the last episode the quote-unquote bust up between craig and fukunaga those we, pictures we did a bit around. but i thought about it more afterwards yeah. and it's like you know working on a film set is a very unnatural <laughs> experience and you you know actors like you know sit around waiting for the you know the director of photography get the lights ready and crew members are busy but the actors are like sitting around it's like it's not a nine to five job it's just and 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 people Mm -hmm. have dust-ups it just happens it's i mean an extreme case um in the 50s there was this movie love is a many splendored thing and apparently william holden and jennifer jones like hated each other but like you know but when they're on screen no, they're they're lovey-dovey because that's what the script calls for. That's why they're actors. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very uh, film sets. I mean, everyone uses the phrase that's it's like a family, and it is because you're getting up at weird times, you're eating at weird times, and on the hoof. You know, even if you're like you know Daniel Craig, yes, you might have a slightly nicer set of cutlery and a better catering wagon, but it's all a little. Like uh, it's, it's a bit enforced, and it's and the, the tensions are raised. I mean, I I'm not going to start speculating whether or not a director and his actor were having heated words. I imagine they probably weren't, to be honest. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it's I, it's a, until you've been there, it's a crazy thing. And the, the thing that always strikes me about it is the early starts and the extremely late finishes, and they just yeah that that takes a, a real different mindset to work with and. Um, yeah, I would urge some caution, assuming they're all, uh, the director and um, 
Mr. Craig are falling out. Although Mr. Fuganaga does look extremely serious at all times, but he always has. Right. Um, so I would, I would, uh, would urge some caution, assuming he's having a little hissy fit. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, it's Daniel Craig there, and he's saying, when you say you want me to look moody, do you mean like this? <laughs> for, 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 for all we know, Fukunaga's a Man City fan, right? <laughs> and Liverpool just lost their shot at the title, and Craig's a Liverpool fan, and he was giving them some shit about that. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it doesn't have to be a <laughs> And also, one of the captions with the photos was, Fukunaga points at Craig, or Craig points at Fukunaga, I feel forget which like so yeah. what i mean it's very it's very clear they're not like yelling at each other because if they were like you know if you could tell it's like well maybe they had a disagreement maybe not but it's like it's not like they were like fighting. yeah the other, the other thing which is the underlying business of tabloids is those pictures were at a photo agency for a week and nobody bought them and the mirror then needed an angle to say they weren't ripping off the sun. So they went to the photo agency, got those photos running around and, oh, by the way, we're going to rip off the sun on the bottom. So yeah. you know, it was an excuse yeah. to build a story around absolutely nothing. Yeah. I, right. They tried, they tried to make it cause and effect, as I said in the previous episode, where it's like, oh, they had a fight. So therefore, Craig got hurt. Like, what? No, one plus one <laughs> equals two thousand. Yeah, and it's it's actually would be more worrying if the director and his leading man weren't talking. That would be more worrying. <laughs> right, right, right. Because here's the other thing: directors like to play mind games on their actors all the time. Like in in the case of Bond, you know, Peter Hunt played mind games on George Lazenby when they were getting ready to film that you know scene at the end, and it's like you know John Wayne and. John Ford, you know, John Ford played mind games on John Wayne. Like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's happened. The one thing I bet anyone on set would not do is play mind games with Daniel Craig. He looks quite a, a sort of resolute, steadfast soul. I wouldn't want to sort of wind him up just for the benefit of a scene, but I, I hear what you're saying. Well, I wouldn't want to wind up John Wayne, even, no matter how well I knew him <laughs> back in the day. So, but who knows? You, you know, whatever. Next week, the next round of tabloid nonsense on one twenty-five. So that's, no probably, that's probably a good point to pivot to. You know, our topic of the week, which is how public opinion of Bond films has changed in recent years. Mm. So I came up with this crazy scheme of IMDb ratings. So I pulled up, you know, some science. So I pulled up some IMDb ratings of all of the pre-Craig movies as they were rated by the world population in 20, uh, 2004, right? Mm. So it's two years after Die Another Day. So everything had kind of settled down, but we didn't know who the new James Bond was going to be. We knew it wasn't going to be Pierce Brosnan. So we were in that kind of like limbo state. Right? It's like good snapshot, right, of public opinion, where mm. all the Bond films are. And then I brought up 2019, like literally today, what the ratings of those same movies were 15 years later. Right, which is where we've been from Brosnan not doing another one to we're at Bond 25 is 15 years. The results, I, I asked, pro- well, you tell me what you think of these results, right? So all of the films except two have gone up in public opinion in 15 mm. years. Oh, wow. One that didn't was Goldfinger because it was already at 7.7 and it didn't move, right? Mm. It was one of the top rated films anyway. 
In fact, pre-Craig, it was the top rated film. So that didn't change its rating. Everything else went up except for one other movie. Can anybody hazard a guess as to which film, which is the only Bond film to have gone down in IMDb ratings in 15 years? Since 2004, I would hazard a guess at Die Another Day. Yeah, and you get 200 points. Hooray! (laughs) I remember people being more positive about that one when it first came out. Uh, well, just to, just yeah, to piggyback so. on that, and I emailed James about this. So at the box office mojo site, they have um, the estimated ticket sales. This is the number of tickets sold, not you know the dollars. Um, and it's interesting that uh, in the and this is America only, USA only. So like Die Another Day, in terms of number of tickets sold among Bond films comes in at number six at 27 mm. point, almost 27.6 million tickets. It's just behind Moonraker at 28 million. Uh, and it's ahead of from Russia with love at 26.7. Um, and it's, mm. I mean, the American market is different and it's just interesting. You know, it can also vary by region and that's why I brought it up to James. Just it's, yeah, a few years ago, I, I crunched the numbers and in various ways, and um, but one of the things I was looking at was uh, return on investment, and the which you know, which obviously is very very different from how people rate the films, but uh, by a very very long way, the biggest winner there was Doctor No because right. uh, yeah, because was, they do on the cheap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can't. You got, I, I, right. I, I don't you got remember. Sean Connery at, you got Sean Connery at a budget price, and um, and Ken Adam at a budget price. That's and the thing that's important, the, the thing that the, the thing that's the thing that's practically impossible to take into account, though, in that is that that's only was that only based on the initial box office run, David? Because I mean, we've got like. 50 plus yeah, years of, I, I, of like, you know, reruns, TV rights, and video releases. Yes, I, I think it was, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think so. Because it would be even more skewed if you took into all the other revenue streams. It would be even more of an outlier, right? Right. Based on all the money that's come in since. So that was like, that was kind of the bad news. Uh, there's only two films. Um, and I, I honestly had to go back and check these twice because I, I was like, are you for real? Um, and by the way, the, the reason Die Another Day went down 0.4 out of 10 was I looked at the metrics. It was only voted down by under 18s. Really? And oh. they, were, they would not have been old enough <laughs> yes. to see the film when it came out. That's interesting. So they only watched it on TV or DVD or Blu-ray or something. And so that new generation coming through, believe it or not, there's people that can legally go and fight a war that weren't old enough to see Dino the Day when it came out. Um, they are the ones that don't like it. Huh. Everybody oh, else kept the ratings the same. I wonder so how much of that is a part of just like its reputation now is as a bad movie. So, you know, much like Halle Berry's Catwoman or, uh, right. dare I say, The Room, things like that. I mean, but uh, I, I wonder also, Calvin, if it could be that uh, if people are being brought up on the Daniel Craig movies, they then right. get to think, ah, what came before that? And uh, mm. they go back and they, they look at Die Another Day. Um, obviously, it's the, the, mm. the, the uh, the film that was before Casino Royale, and they are a bit shocked by what they see. Mm, the, the recent, the recent, most recent Bond, you know, the most recent X, never gets a good, uh, you know, get, 
gets good press and it'll, it'll probably happen to Craig in times to come. But I'm always curious. I mean, has anyone here actually added AIMDB rating for any film they've watched? Oof, not no, but in about hundreds 10 thousands, years? Hundreds of thousands of people did, though. So Yeah, yeah I suppose that, yeah, it's got validity. That Dino the Day metric was based on something like over half a million votes. So um, I think... Was it you, Calvin, that mentioned like maybe Dino that they went down because after a few years after it came out, people changed their opinion? Um, mm. I, I actually thought that too. So I went and looked at like how the Craig movies had, you know, two years after release, they only went down by like 0.1 or 0.2 from their initial <laughs> rating. So the under 18s, the young Bond fans who have grown up on Craig really do not like Dino the Day. So my hypothesis was oh, there must be this new generation of fans who like the more serious movies, right? The more down to earth movies. Hmm. went and did the other numbers guess what totally incorrect <laughs> <laughs> diamonds are forever and man with the golden gun shot up well, well here's the thing so um you know in the in the range of imdb ratings bond ranks from like sixes to eights right but anywhere between six and eight and in fact 8.0 is the highest rated movie that's casino royale right that's mm. still like, still kicking around there uh, which has gone, yeah, which is still sitting at eight. So we've got we've got a very narrow range, right, between six and eight. But a lot of the movies went up by like 0.1. In fact, the bulk of them went up by 0.1. But then there was this other category of films that went up significantly, 0.3 and 0.4, which is a lot to jump up, right? Mm. So in the 0.3 category, right, second place of most improved Bond movies in the public eye, right, Octopussy. Yay! And the, living, <laughs> and, the, and, and the Living Daylights. Oh. Ah, that's interesting. They went up 0.3. So you can say The Living Daylights is a more serious film too, but Octopus is definitely not. No. But then we get into like the ones that have gone up the most, so 0.4. So in, no, in, in reverse chronological order, Goldeneye hmm. jumped up 0.4. So Goldeneye's now now one of the top rated Bond movies on IMDb. License to Kill. Really? Up by four. And you could argue that with the Craig generation, right? Liking the serious movies. Yeah. Right? Now hold on to your hats. You know the top three most improved Bond movies are? Roger Moore ones. A View to Kill. Ah. A View to Kill. Moonraker. Another yay. Moonraker. Calvin will be happy there. And the And the and the man with the golden gun. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's restored my faith, my faith in the interwebs. Oh, thank gosh. <laughs> thank Jeffrey Keane for such revelations. <laughs> I'm curious, is that because of like the 18-year-olds um, voting them up? Did you look at the demographics? Yeah, I looked at the demographics of this. The man with the golden gun gets upvoted the most by under-18s. Ah, That's because they think it's... Porn. <laughs> I, 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 I hope under 18s aren't looking at Man with the Golden Gun and assuming it's got adult nature in it. Um, wow, I mean, actually, when did IMDb start? Is it like 20 years? I mean, I don't they, know if they, they, started, well. they started doing ratings in the early 2000s. So that's why I pulled 2004 because one, it was a nice 15 year number. Two, mm, it was right. when we knew Brosnan wasn't coming back. So people could actually rate movies based on that. So it was a nice little snapshot. And they didn't really mm. change much until like literally the last few years. And then we got this big swing to Rogers, golden gun, Moonraker, and if you'd have killed an octopusy. I wonder how much that was to do with, um, people watching his movies after he died. Well, even not even before he died, just once he became sort of like this, uh, senior figure, I mean, starting in about the nineties, 
like not right after he left the role, but maybe like 10 years or almost 10 years, he like became the senior figure when they were filming GoldenEye. He was on the set with Pierce Brosnan and there were photos taken and like, you know, you know, Roger Moore always spoke well of his successors and he, and he was a charming guy anyway. So he, I mean, he, in a lot of ways, he like, also he like was in public life until late in life, you know, as we record this, this is the second anniversary after his death, but like he was doing those one man shows where he just, it's just him up on a stage talking about his career. Um, I, I think in a lot of ways in his later years, he was like, he was like the, he was like the bond who had a, very visible public life and and you know he, and he always spoke well of bond and uh, you know I, th- I think that may have been a factor in these ratings changes hmm. yeah and he was often the ambassador for the role like yeah. say uh, yeah in a way that in a way that connery wasn't right. lazenby yeah. couldn't and yeah that, that's that's no uh, uh cuss on their efforts no. at all uh, i i also think also that the, the roger Defenders, and I'm not even going to say apologists because I think we're beyond that now. But I was always a, a Roger Moore apologist, and, and felt like I was the lone wolf putting my head above the uh, the trenches to sort of say, "If you took kills, not terrible." And um, I think what's happened is my generation got older and got a little more assertive, and we started to write the articles, started to compile the lists, and and share the Roger Moore pictures and the love. And I think actually, oddly, for someone that you know is. Uh, died just short of his 90th birthday. I think the internet and social media enhanced and underlined Roger Moore's uh, cachet as Bond, uh, you know, often down to the efforts of his manager, um, Gareth Owen, who just kept that little uh, buoyant Roger Moore suave ball in the air and in a way that none of the Bonds have done since. Right. You know, and I think that's these little things do you know, feed in uh, to um, things like IMDb ratings, I'm sure. Yeah, it was, I was, you know, looking at it. There's like the, the more serious or the more straight down the middle. Roger outings, living that die, few eyes only, the spy love me, didn't really bump up much. They were already rated higher anyway. But it's almost <laughs> like somebody just dragged up the lowest rated bomb movies by the bridge and said, "Now you're near the top." I mean, <laughs> literally, like the Man with the Golden Gun is rated six point eight now, which puts it above everything Brosnan did except Goldeneye. Everything yeah. Dalton did, it puts it even above Diamonds Are Forever. In the list, and what happened with the view to a kill? It's, it stayed it, at the top. <laughs> it, it was the only bond in the fives, and now it's in the sixes. So more, more power. <laughs> Do it. it. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be one of our podcasts without building an impression, would it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think another thing to add, though, is that younger generations, it's, I always equate it with um, I, I was fascinated by my parents' vinyl and I would get into the Beatles and the Carpenters and Neil Diamond when I was a kid. And I think a lot of movie-minded kids look beyond what's around them. So they're, they're looking because vintage, retro, it has a bit of cachet and a bit of cool. So suddenly, you know, Roger, the Roger Moore Bond films are a, a, a cracking seven you know seven album vinyl treat that they can tap into and maybe there's that distance and uh, again i think that's uh, helped roger's sort of uh, hindsight uh, chances but meanwhile as an aside for whatever reason roger was not as popular in the u.s market as he was globally um as i mentioned on a previous installment of this podcast you know a lot of my bond friends here in the states did not were not 
Roger Moore fans. And um, but they were of the Connery generation, though, right, Bill? Yes, exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So to to that point, Bill. So I averaged all of the IMDb rating movies by actor, right? Yeah. So in last place, drumroll, Pierce Brosnan, six point five. Really? Okay. Oh. Followed by Dalton, 6.6. And he would have been at the bottom had his films not both been jumped up in the last 15 years. Right. Um, and then Rogers in third, 6.67. Lazy and Me squeaks it by decimal place hmm. into third. And then it's Connery, 7.1. Hmm. And then it's Craig at 7.3. I can't understand Lazenby that being that high because he's an appalling actor. But it's, it's, it's because of... <laughs> It's his one film. Is his and one it's film because of all this reconsideration of Honor, Majesty's Secret Service. It's like no, I I, I understand the reconsider the reconsideration of the film itself, but uh, it it's still he, uh, he's, when I, when I watch it, some of his some of his performance is painful to watch. I think any scene where he's um, playing Hillary Bray is just like the the dubbing doesn't help. It doesn't help that he's not he's not the kind of actor who can play a character playing another character, and mm. that so he, if he's doing Hillary Hillary Bray is nervous about being so high up in a helicopter, it just makes it look like oh James Bond is nervous about being so high up in a helicopter, and he even I, said- I don't think that helps. I was about to say, and he even said in one of the interviews for the um, the editions um, for the home video release, he like he like worked on the Hillary Bray accent. Well, I think I have this, and then like he doesn't he doesn't know he's been dubbed until he sees the movie in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange beat in the film. I, I say in the Captain Bullets how it, it's weird that he's he's sort of sounding like Noel Coward but acting like Sid James, and it, it's sort of. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's that weird thing. It's, but it, I'll defend it because it plays into that weird sort of slightly surreal nature of that Alpine uh, whole sequence. But yeah, it's a strange one. It would, it would probably not happen now. And, and so, can you imagine Daniel Craig being dubbed by I don't know Danny Dyer or uh, someone completely random that just doesn't fit? No, no, yeah. you can imagine it at all. Oh, well, they, they did that for they did that for a comic relief sketch, didn't they? Oh gosh, ago. yes, yeah, oh, written, yeah, written by David Williams, and yeah, that was that was a curious one. Yeah, and Sarah Millican doing the voice of Roger Moore, wasn't it? I think, and Alan Carr did Daniel Craig. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Royal yeah. Beluga, north of the Caspian. <laughs> I do wonder if um, George Lazenby is sort of taking over the mantle of um, sort of. Bond actor ambassador for the series now. He has a much, um, uh, yeah, much wider social media presence now. Um, goes to a lot of events and yeah. has a lot of love as well. Some um, of that's the doing of his um, manager, who uh, also also runs a Bond oh, yeah, website. Yeah. So maybe, but mm. I don't know. When you've only done one, even even if it's a, one of the best, it's kind of hard to seize that mantle. I think, but but mm. yeah. That's not my call. Well, it's his year. You know, it's it's the fiftieth anniversary, so it's a great time. Yeah, you know, it's his year for the spotlight, and why not let him let, let him go for it? And yeah, and as his manager and agent is uh, doing a, a fine job, sort of following perhaps the Roger Moore Gareth Owen template. But um, mm. but yeah, I mean, we're not. I, I can't quite imagine Connery going to be stepping into that, uh, stepping up to that plate for various sort of reasons and age and locations so yeah why not let's let's let our uh, 
great uncle bonds um <laughs> sort of uh, come around a few a few well, more times well, well in george's case have right. his moment in the sun so it's 50 50 years later yeah go ahead yeah the, the other mm. thing is dalton and brosnan right. are still active and working right mm. so yes. it'll be a few years before they you know yeah. do the convention circuits i guess uh, I, I've got no pro- I've got no problem with George Lazenby. Uh, I, I just think uh, he he was an inexperienced actor. If I if I'd been in his position and offered Bond, I'd have taken Bond. But I've got no acting experience either, so uh, it would have been the same result or probably far worse. So uh, that's uh, I, I'm just ten uh, years. I don't, I don't have, I don't actually have an issue with, with with Lazenby himself. Ten years after Majesties, George Lazenby was in a Hawaii Five O. And he was like much better. He was the secondary villain, but like you can tell he's got, okay, he's got more experience now and he's just much smoother. So had he taken that seven film contract bill by like film three, you think he would have been up to snuff? Possibly, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's like with everything though, isn't it? it, it uh, you need to, you need to uh, do it once, you need to do it twice until you start to get some competency, competency for it. It's as uh, simple as that. Uh, it, I'll, I'll put it this way: in in that Hawaii Five O, he's there's this one scene with him and the primary villain, and like the primary villain is supposed to be this menacing guy, but he's not really. He's a little skinny for for, for that. And like, there's this one close up on George, and it's like he's looking at the guy, and says, "You know, I can break in too, right?" And just that's just the vibe you get. Um, but no, I mean, he was fine. But by '79, he was he was fine. So just to wrap up this IMDb rating thing, um, I, I kind of looked at the well, what would what would Craig have to do to keep his number one status on IMDb as the best James Bond, um, and he could phone it in with Bond twenty five with like a six point six, which was Quantum of Solace. He could do another one of those and still average out better than Connery. Mm-hmm. So Bond twenty five is going to have to be a total turkey for him to lose his right. man, to, for him to lose his mantle as number one James Bond actor based on average movie rating. So he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of room, he's got a a lot of room for error above Connor. Yeah. I I think the thing was, the thing would be if we were doing this when Brosnan was Bond, I I think we'd find that he was the top Bond. um, If Daniel Craig had gone before him, it's just, I I think the, the, the current Bond just uh, gets a lot of love just because he's, is the current Bond. Well, and, anecdotally like i was on i was looped in on this like big group email when um brazen was let go or not renewed however you want to phrase it and like people were shocked they just couldn't believe it like how can this be and but then you know a new bond comes along oh pierce who i mean that's um, that's kind of the nature of fandom so do we think then in 15 or 20 years time there's going to be a brazen renaissance Poss- I hope so. Possibly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, con- very conceivably. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ta- you know, time is a lot of film and a lot of actors' good friend. And yeah, I think he's still under that the last ex husband's curse. Um, and he's having a really interesting, fascinating career. I, I, oddly, it'll never happen, but I quite like, I like what he's doing now. I really love The uh, Foreigner. I think that was the one he did with, um, with Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan yeah. and wasn't it Martin? Did Martin Campbell direct that? Or am I making that yes, up? Yes, he, um, he did. Yeah, he did. And that was a great film. And you saw watching him, and I think he just accepted some university 
yeah. doctorate degree in the last day or two, and he's got a heavy sort of Western beard. I think that might be for a Western thing he's doing at the moment. But I just thought there's something about you where you could still do that role in a way that I didn't feel perhaps in 89 con- uh, Co- you know, Connery or Moore could come back or even Lazenby. I, I, I just, I'd love to see Brosnan come back. It's not going to happen, but I do think he's still got that that poise and that cachet and he's he's got a little wink about him, a little charm, and he's doing all these sort of crazy ads for spa and random products. That's um, right. Yeah, I, I like him. Right? He's, he's the one Bond I, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to sit down with all of them and have a proper chat, but I would really love to just go out on the lash with Brosnan because yeah. I have heard he, he quite you know he quite enjoys his uh, evenings. I, I, I've always <laughs> liked uh, Brosnan and uh, the I, I think I, I've probably liked him more as a person than than as, as Bond. But um, you know I, I didn't think he was a bad Bond either. Yeah, he gets. I mean, it's coming up between the eighth next you know couple of weeks. It's twenty. Just do the math. Yeah, twenty five years since he became Bond, uh, and I, I remember that Wednesday afternoon with uh, the press court, and he looked so happy and chuffed to get the role, and I, I, I really, I, 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 he gets such bad press for the, you know, for it. Yes, he had perhaps one and a half turkeys in his tenure, but, you know, you could level that at any of the others, um, and he did an amazing thing. He brought, he enabled Bond to come back, because that, that was a gamble in 95 that may not have worked. That six-year gap, a lot of yeah, movie, cultural, political things changed, and yeah, he put us, as soon as he said we're expecting someone else. I thought, yes, there's a point yeah. of humour to this guy, and I, I've never really had a big problem with. Oh, yeah. and, and just to piggyback on what Mark said, it's like people forget it was kind of it was kind of dicey for Bond after that six year hiatus, and you know, it, mm. I mean, there was like a lot riding on his shoulders, and. I see Bond fans hmm. like call him Braza kind of in a derivative way or not derivative, um, insulting way. Um, Braza. Derogatory. Braza, he's not a good actor. Um, but I mean, there was, there was a lot riding on his shoulders. It's just, there was, the future of the franchise really was riding on that film. And a lot of Bond fans say, oh, James Bond will always continue. It's like, if you're a CEO, you have to imagine the circumstances where yeah. things won't continue. I mean, the, and that's more common about the producers. Mm. But yeah. you know, there was there was a ton mm. of pressure, you know, just writing on him. Mm. I, I, I and I have to I have to say, Bill, I thought Bond was over uh, in that gap. Mm. I, I thought that, I thought uh, that was it. Remember during the filming of License to Kill. Dalton said something along those lines. He said, I think this is the last one. Yeah. The next one might be the last one. Yeah, yeah. the next one will be the last one. I, and they said that about, I think, well, there's not enough. I remember Heat Magazine, was, it was one of Brosnan's last couple where last Bond film, it's going to be the last one. And, you know, that, so far that's not been proved to be right at all. No, but I remember that interview, Bill. Yeah. I think we covered it in one of the magazines where Dalton did say, I think the, the next one we do will be the last one. Yeah, I, I remember reading that now you've mentioned, <laughs> because, mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. What was that based on at the time? Just the public appetite or what was he based Partially, on? but also there was like a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Like MGM was like, you know, keeping like really tight reins on the budget. Right. The whole reason, the whole reason they uh, made Mexico the home base was because Pinewood was dubbed too expensive. Hmm. Um, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. MGM... 
as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, has had this, you know, ever since MGM got involved in 1981, there's always been issues with MGM and the Bond series. And anyway, there was just a lot of stuff going and, on. And plus, <laughs> looking at it from Don's perspective, they were out of, quote unquote, out of Fleming material at that point. And this was the first film not with a Fleming title. So the, mm. right, the, the mm. end of the runway looked real, didn't it, at that time? Yeah. So, and Michael G. Wilson was tired. And, and, <laughs> and 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 also on top of everything else, it was like again, this is just the U.S. only. It had a very meager box office the first weekend, which was not a Bond thing. Um, hmm. I looked it up in the its first weekend in the U.S. It came in at number four. It was behind what is it? Oh, Mel Gibson, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon. Two. It was behind Batman, which had been out for six weeks. It was behind barely, but it was still behind. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It came in at number four. Um, right. That was like, ooh, that's. I remember hearing that, or I, I just remember hearing nine million, which was it was more like eight point four. But <laughs> I remember hearing it like, <laughs> yeah, whoa. The, the, the thing, the thing that the thing that struck me about that Dalton interview when he said that though was it was before it came out. Oh yeah, during filming. During filming, when it's like, yeah. yeah, this is probably the next one's it. So um, going back to like, I, I'm right on note on the list, which was do you, obviously Bond fans have scattered opinions on the movies because it's like what we grew up with and one we like, and there's personal personal stories involved. Um, but the Bond fandom probably skews differently on the ratings than the general population, right? Of moviegoers, yeah, definitely. But is there is there a film? in the last, you know, since Craig's become Bond, that you go back and you didn't used to like, but now, you know, you've watched it again, take it with a new a new look at it? Uh, but, but before we, we tackle that, actually, uh, I remember after seeing Casino Royale, I found it very, very difficult to go back to any of the previous films because the style had changed so radically. Uh, it, it, was dif- it, it was difficult to actually think that it was a part of the same uh, film series. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, and I and I, I I took a break from watching anything else for at least six months and probably a year. Mm. I watched Quantum of Solace the other night again, um, and I I loved it from the moment I saw it. And I I've, I often get asked out of the four that we've had so far, what is Daniel Craig's best Bond film? And I hand on heart often say I don't always say, but I often say Quantum of Solace. For yeah. lots, lots of reasons. One being, I like its pace. I like the fact that after 20-odd Bond films, we don't maybe need every stepping stone of narrative. There, there is a few moments where it does narratively go off the rails. It's the boating scene and the, the, the dockside warehouse where the, the story, even we had to pause it just to get our heads around the, the plot points. But I, I think there's it's a beautifully shot film, as are all of Craig's films. But I often... I enjoy Quantum of Solace more than Casino Royale. Um, I, I get what David means there as well, because the style so radically evolved and brilliantly. And I think it was necessary, not just after after uh, Brosnan and Die Another Day, but also just after 9-11. They, they had to give it a different punch and a, a different thought. And they did. And we're still, you know, we're still slightly riding that 2006 Casino Royale wave. Yeah, I, I'm actually with you on Quantum of Solace now. Uh, I was. Oh, we talked about this in the previous podcast, I think, um, that uh, over over time, 
uh, it's improved for me a a lot. And and I I kind of stopped watching it for a while. And yeah, I I always wanted it to be something more than it was, even though there there are some bits I I do love about it. And... Mm. But then I, I caught it a couple of times. It was like the half, the last half an hour on television, and, it, and from the point when uh, Bond is uh, telling Camille or asking Camille whether she's ever killed a man before, and you know he's cleaning the gun and all that kind of stuff, and just watched it from that point, and and it, I thought, yeah, this is brilliant. And so I, I went back and watched it, and now it's uh, it is maybe my favourite of the, of the Craig era. Mm. There's a moment in that film where he is about, I think, and maybe it's just my reading of it, but every time I see it, I see it, and I ask people I'm with, did you see that? He, he is contemplating killing her yes, because right. they're both, yes. the, the fire is raging. I mean, there's not yes. many Bond films that have done that, as well as he's not actually you know, done any horizontal fandangos with her and lets her go. And there, I, I got really told off once by Charlie Hickson who, when I said it's, it's a – it's a stepping stone of a Bond film. And he said, well, no Bond film should be a stepping stone. And yes, he's right in one respect. But I, I just liked that perhaps it, I would say it was if uh, Casino Royale ends with a slap in the face, then this, you know, Quantum of Solace is the bruise. And, <laughs> and yeah, that, it, it, enables, it enables Skyfall to happen, which I think was another renaissance of Bond and Daniel Craig. Casino Royale and Skyfall just really pushed Bond into a different stratosphere, I think, in terms of in terms of the wider audiences. I, I was gonna say he's presuming he's considering killing her and presumably considering killing himself with the next shot. Yes. Um yes. which is there's a lot of yeah. brilliant subtlety to that film. I mean it, it is I, I always defend its editing. I mean, I've been in car crashes and the only film I've ever watched that made me feel uneasy in that way of reminding, like in a sort of PTSD type way, or whatever it is, it's the opening of Quantum of Solace. It, that's utterly what happens, that crunch of metal. I, I, I still think that's an, a brilliantly edited piece of cinema. And I, I thought oh, that. Oh, God, at the don't time. talk about Aston well, Martins and car crashes. And- <laughs> well, anyway, something I said on the previous podcast, but maybe didn't explain as well as I should have. Um, I think Quantum of Solace was hurt by the marketing campaign where like Michael G. Wilson said at a press event, because I've seen the video, like it takes place literally an hour after Casino Royale. And like, you know, if you mm. don't say that, if you don't make it that specific, it's like it's in it's like inviting a higher level of examination Screening. than you normally would. Um you know, because again, if it's like, well, it happens a short while after casino, it's like, well, okay, that's that that's a wiggle room. When you say literally an hour, then you get into all this very specific stuff. Um, you know, it's, it feels very contemporary as well. That there's a contemporary pulse to that film, whereas Casino Royale is sort of set in older antique Europe, Skyfall to a degree as well. Um, it, it, there's a contemporary pulse of that film, whether it's the you know the um, uh, the uh, Bolivia stuff. It just, it, you know, it's Bond getting in a rickety old bus. I, I just, I really like the film. Um, well, something yeah. I said also on the last installment was, you know, I was like, I really didn't like the first 20 minutes, but once we hit the opera scene, like that, like that rallied it for me. I liked that sequence a lot. And so after that, I was fine. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, mm. again, people's opinions vary and you just have to accept that. But, um, it's, it's not, 
I've been, uh, people said, oh, yeah, I've been hailed as a critic. It's like, well, I'm not, I'm mostly, you know, kind of a little, you know, continuity sloppiness, but normally you don't hold a Bond film against that. But when the producer says literally an hour, that's, that makes it different. But Calvin, Calvin, has your opinion, has your opinion of it changed? Since- of course, it was all so no, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, yeah, I, well, actually, Skyfall's the only one of the Craig era, I was just thinking, where I was uh, kind of have the same feeling that I had when I left the cinema the first time, because I, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but for me, like, and I had this recently with Game of Thrones, actually, like, when I really love something and I'm watching it, I just kind of experience it and mm. I don't really like stop and think when I'm yep. watching it, like, oh, did I like that or not? So I tend to come out of most Bond films sort of thinking, like, oh, yeah, that was great, actually. Hmm. And then it's only after the third, fourth, fifth cinema visit that I sort of uh, form a, uh, an opinion. Um, Quantum of Solace and Spectre are actually one of, a couple of my least favorite films uh and casino royale and skyfall are my favorite films in the series now so the craig era is very polarizing for me um just like the editing and quantum of solace it, it does really bother me in a lot of places and it's when it when things are happening so quickly that your brain can't even register like it took me like when i was doing one of my uh, video reviews of Quantum of Solace and I was like, you know, go, going through the film on the editing software and there's that bit towards the start yeah, I of think the I film. Know too. I know what you're going to uh, say. Where, <laughs> yes. where they shoot at Judy Dench? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, yes. and, and it looks like she shot and then, there's two, there's, and then there's, somebody there's sent me a frames. screen capture. Like, no, it's like yeah. the bullet hits yeah. you. It's like, Okay, I'm sorry, your, your DVD player is better than mine because I, I don't see that. <laughs> Well, that's it. And there's like a couple of frames of where you just see that, oh, I guess the bullet ricocheted off of the, um, the uh, what, whatever thing, it was. Whatever. The, yeah. yeah. Whatever was in front of her at the time. And I didn't get that in the no. cinema. And then you have that shot and then they're fighting. And then there's a shot of someone in the foreground running away and you sort of hear a Judy Dench gasp. All right. And I, I, I was completely clueless for about five minutes. I was like, did she make it out? Was she shot? Was she yeah, injured? Yeah, I, I, that, that is a problem. Uh, Bill and I had this conversation with somebody else about five years ago and it, it wasn't until somebody else pointed it out that the, the, the bullet ricochets. Off yeah. this thing. Yeah. I, I, I have to make one confession. So the first time I saw Quantum was um, it was actually it was a showing organized for reporters by the Ford Motor Company. It was like their last Bond film, and mm-hmm. um, I was actually thinking about walking out about twenty minutes into it. It was oh, really it, well. It was the scene where Bond kills the guy and lets him bleed out. And it's like uh, oh, this is like. This I- that, I like that scene. That's a really grisly, horrible I, scene. Yeah, I, I like that I, scene too. I thought that was really I don't, good. I'm just, I'm, and I'm not criticizing yeah, people who like it. Yeah. I'm just saying, but like that bothered me. And then, but then again, a short while later, we had the, um, we had the opera scenes like, okay, I'm fine. Mm. Um, and again, yeah. that's, that's just a personal thing. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but the the one that has like probably changed the most for me is Casino Royale, and I hadn't really thought about why until actually this conversation. Um, especially listening to David talk about like how different it is from the rest of the series, so it's kind of jarring. And I, I think I was only like 
17 when it, I saw it at the cinema for the first time and then kind of going into that after sort of religiously knowing the other 20 films in the series, it, it is quite jarring and it's difficult to sort of, you know, place in a ranking as it will because it sort of sits outside of that as its own thing. And now that there are more Craig films that incorporate more classic Bond elements, it's kind of easier to sort of retrofit it into the into the whole filmography. Um, but I think now I, Casino Royale is one of my absolute favorites. I adore it. Whereas I think when I first saw it, I probably came out of it sort of like a bit, oh yeah, well that was good, um, but not a rewatchable one. Can I make a confession about one that I like better than I would have like 10 years ago or 10 or 15 years ago? Mm. It's like, actually I like Moonraker better than I once did. Um, it's like I can do, I could still do without the double taking pigeons and the excessive humor, <laughs> but there is a kind of joy to the movie just because it's so big and so expansive. And something that fed that was when I had a chance to read the first draft script, which was even <gasps> bigger with jetpacks and his and her mini jets and like, oh, oh no my way. God. Oh, yeah. That is incredible. Uh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, it's always been uh, one of my favorites. Moon, Moonraker. Like, oh, we didn't like, know that, Calvin. The, 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 moon, <laughs> the Moonraker, that first draft Moonraker script, like, fed like the next two, three Bond movies with bits of business. I, 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 liked, um, I, I liked AJ's metaphor from last week, which was Moonraker's like a big chocolate cake. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's just, you know, it's like if they could, like, if they could have just, like, reeled it back in a few key places it'd be even better but um but no it's just and again it's just this big sprawling thing it's like when taken when looking at it that way it's like i can enjoy it it's like is it Mm. is it like faithful fleming well not so much but you know it's just you had you know roger moore more or less at the peak of his powers although my favorite of Mm. his is for your eyes only but um you know he's he's good. It's like Lois Childs wasn't so great, but um, there's this one scene where she's like supposedly surprised by Bond coming up from behind. She looks totally unconvincing, but oh, right. <laughs> I think the thing that the thing to me that stands out from that movie, Bill, is the dialogue. Yes, it is so sharp. Yes, it is mm. really sharp throughout the whole film, mm. and. Mm. Um, wasn't it just the one writer throughout the production? Well, he was the one that was credited the, because, like Tom Mankiewicz, once they, Tom Mankiewicz worked yeah, on the plot. Past, once the camera started rolling, yeah, and, and um, Ian Lafrenis and Dick Clement worked on some scenes, which I didn't know until AJ's book came out. Um, right, but yes, it, Christopher Wood is the only credited screenwriter. Um, yeah. Anyway, but you know, it's like again, I. I I accept it for what it is. Some of my U.S. Bond friends abhor it, and like, well, I'm not. I'm not going to get a debate about it. It's like you like what you like. That's right. it. So, flipping the question around, is there a film that you used to like and now avoid or skip, huh. or don't don't look at it so kindly? I don't know if there's one that I skip. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever and The Man with the Golden Gun for me go up and down, but I think those films are very mood dependent um, when you're watching them. I think Mark described um, Diamonds Are Forever the best, really, in his book, where he talks about how kind of it's got this kind of sleazy aesthetic to it, and probably because of the Vegas setting, or maybe not. I don't know. There's just something kind of seedy about it, and 
feel kind of grubby watching it, but it's sometimes also, it's, it's also there. the first film that it, re- it really there's a bitterness to it. Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm. yeah, that's mm. that barbed acidic wit. It's, it's yeah, in that entertainer's world, that backstage world, which is grubby and sticky at the best of times and they sort of get that i don't know why they're not aiming for it but they it has that and it, there's a sadism in it the whole film it was a very sadistic film um from, mm. from wind and kid and, and even from you know ask marie and all that and then when he does ask marie he strangles her with her own uh, bikini there's mm. it often gets pulled up as being you know the beginning of the roger more jokey era but no it's there's a a real brutal sadism to it, mixed with a little bit of that Batman arched Lorenzo Semple sort of uh, camp look at pop mm. culture as well. well. One of the things about that film I, I love is John Barry's score. It's absolutely right. excellent. Mm. Really, really mm. good. Well, I've also read Tom Mankiewicz's first draft, you know, after he had taken over from Maybaum. And there's actually more Fleming material in that mm. than would would go into the movie. Like, for example, he wrote a scene, you know, how, how did the real diamonds actually get into the U.S.? It was Q, and he was bringing them in, you know, inside of golf balls, just like in the, like in the novel. Mm. That's, that's why Q is out, like, in Las Vegas. Mm. But, of course, the way the film was edited, you don't know that. Mm. Um, but, at the same, but at the same time, there were some Mankiewicz bits – you know, in the, in his script, Bond really does rappel down the side of the of the ocean liner to get into the cabin where hmm. uh, she's being menaced by Winton Kidd. But there's some dialogue in the script that's very painful to read. And again, I did an article, and if anyone needs it, let me know. I'll send you the URL <laughs> where I describe it. But um, it was there were some things that were bad. It was like mm. it wasn't good, but. Um, Anyway. I, I always love Diamonds. I, I love it for its pop. It's, you know, Bambi, Thumper, Peter O'Toole, Playboy. There's this whole – It's a it, Bond films aren't always aware of their time and their the culture. So it, it just is steeped with this sort of pop culture Americana like, you know, Keystone Cops and and uh, all the Vegas stuff. Uh, and, and I love it for the Americana, the, Ameri- the Americanness of it because, uh, you know, that's down to Guy Hamilton, who did all the great American Bond movies. And Mankiewicz also, Ma- Ma- Mankiewicz also wrote a scene where Blofeld is definitively killed and he gets ground up and his, you know, all these right. bloody remains are <laughs> on, the, on the sand or whatever. And Bond has some one-liner, which I don't remember off the top of my head. Right. But, uh, I, I, like, I like Mark Gattis's, you know, this is why he's a writer, I'm not. And his description of it was, it was like the 60s went off. You know, like some some milk that just turns sour. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's like, yeah. But he good. he loves that film though. I, we we got a Winton Kids thing, but he loves that film. I do, I do know that. That was well, his first as well. I think it was his first at the cinema. Well, also, I I will admit, at, when it first came out, I saw it probably like four times in the theater. It's like I probably had like the first half hour memorized at one point. <laughs> so for me, a book. To answer the question, David, if, uh, uh, James, rather, about what well, – I love Goldfinger. I love its iconography. I think that's – it's a, the blueprint that Bond still works with. The first two Bond films are still slightly coming out of that late 50s Kennedy sense of America and internationalism. Yeah. And then you know, 60s, it's, I would say that 
Gold Fringe is the first time the Bond movies move. We got the car, we got the tide. There's a real sense of movement and the camera and the sets are moving. But I still sometimes when I'm watching it think, hmm, Bond is just, he's in another room. He's right. been quite passive. Uh, so to answer you, I find that sometimes Goldfinger is the one that I love. It's, it's, you know, it's another chocolate cake with different icing. Um, and the other one for me as well is not enough, which I, I, it was the only one I actually saw at cinema with my grandfather for all those personal reasons. And I, I sort of loved it at the time. And then afterwards I thought, hmm, did I love it? Because it's sort of five and a half Bond films stuck together in that sort of Brosnan way. Um, so that's the one that I just have problems liking. Although I haven't seen it for a while. Maybe I should go back to it and um, decide. With, Gold, with Goldfinger, I, I agree with you there, Mark. The, the last time I, – I, and I, I love it, don't, don't get me wrong – but uh, the last time I saw it, and the thing that really struck me was how dated it mm. seemed. Yeah. And – uh, and it was the, it was really the first time that uh, any Bond film had had really uh, struck me as being dated at all. You know, normally I, uh, I've just been able to accept. Yeah. And, and, I don't find know, it dated because it has up. that sense of futurism. There's those sort of metallic silvers. It's it's all got one eye like all good Bond films. Mm. You know, five minutes in the future. Mm. But I but, know what you mean. Well, it was a it was a preview of GPS, mm. um, even though that yes. hasn't been coined yet. Um, I, was, I was going to say, like, you will find some Bond fans have kind of taken Goldfinger down their personal ratings. Um, a dear friend of mine who passed away two years ago, he said, I could maybe watch Goldfinger one more time, but that's it. <laughs> um, he just he, he had just seen it too many times, and he just thought in his personal rankings, Majesties had moved up and, like, Goldfinger had moved down. And I remember we talked about, you know, the reasons for that. And, you know, it was an interesting analysis. Yeah, another another reason that I I think uh, Goldfinger has gone down in my estimation is uh, is not the film itself, but uh, the films that followed. And I think that one of the reasons is that, that they overused the DB5 in the recent films. Yes. Oh, you're going to love, they're, the, they're, you're gonna love the start of 125, David. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the the DB5 I think is is overused to a massive degree it, and it, it's almost uh like the vodka martini also and I, I think it's it's only really since since goldeneye that these things have come out uh so much and they they, they feel the need to put them in in every single film now, and uh, because of that, uh, it, so it, reduce, fingers, it reduces the impact of its original years. It reduces the impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in you know, if uh, if Goldfinger is isolated, and if I hadn't seen any of the other films, uh, then uh, probably I'd still love it as much as I, I did. You know, even though to me it, the last time it looked a bit dated but uh uh it's it's just the overuse of, of the kind of bond clichés in a way mm. I, I want the lotus to come back i mean <laughs> have, it doesn't have the same cachet but it'd be cool if they could you know cast a new car um to sort of take over a bit because uh, i felt the renault in future kill wasn't quite the car it was <laughs> cut out to be sadly <laughs> so much promise and merchandise or the business, the salesperson's BMW. Mm. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I loved, I, I loved, the, I, I did love the, the Lotus period, actually, Mark. And uh, the, mm. the, 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 I, I remember 
uh, I think it was Spider-Man comic I used to get at the time, and th- there was a, a full-page ad in that, and it was um, it was before the film came out, and it was the the Corgi uh, Lotus Esprit with the you know everyone knows what it is with the you know you click it and the the fins come out and all that kind of stuff but mm. it was like th- three lines and it was like bond talking to q and i i won't i won't remember it exactly because uh well it's a, it's a long 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 time ago and I, I don't have those comics anymore but it was something i i'd like a, a lotus that uh, does this certainly mr bond and and i'd like it to be, go underwater and uh, Certainly, Mr. Bond. And I'd like a, a corgi model of it as well. Absolutely, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to follow in on from Goldfinger, guys. The one that I, I really don't get excited about watching now is Thunderball. Yes. Mm, yeah. it's, yep. um, I think it was – I hate to say it, Calvin, but I think when I watched your review years ago of that movie and you pointed out that – the audience is always ahead of the plot and Bond's behind it. And that was like the penny dropped with me. It's like, that's why I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's the same with the book. I can't believe yeah. what I read the book recently. It's like, oh God, it's just the same thing. Yeah, it's all about the villain. It's I, lo- like- I, love the- I love Thunderball. Um, all right. I will defend Thunderball <laughs> because we've had a few shots on this podcast. Um, cause it was the first one I saw and I saw it in a drive-in on those, one of those giant screens albeit with those tinny little players you would put in your window. Um, you know, because I, for me, it was like mm. a revelation, like bond with the jet pack and just everything that followed. It's like by, you know, by the fall of 65, there were like so many spies on TV, many of which I love, but like Thunderball yeah. gave audiences something they could not get on TV. And so, and again, when you're, your first Bond film tends to influence how you feel. So I'll defend it. It's not a perfect film. All those continuity things like Felix's pants appear, then they disappear. And, you know, I mean, in real life, what happened was like Terrence Young right. bugged out, yeah. leaving, leaving I, Peter Hunt to I often- finish out the film by himself. Um, but you know what? And, and the thing with the underwater fight with the mask that's black then it's blue and whatever it's like all that's true but it's like you know what it, it's still for me it's, it still yeah, I, thrills I, me. I, 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 I love thunderball and, and i guess part of the reason is that it um it's the year that i i was born but um there's another thing about it and i i don't know if it influenced me or or not but um i, I used to i used to scuba dive a lot and uh, i'm not completely unconvinced that it's not because I love uh, Thunderbolt so much but I remember I used to dive and I and then I'd, I'd get the the, um, the the Thunderbolt diving just going through my head while I was diving and so the first Bond soundtrack mm. I bought was Thunderbolt because of that no no just my thought on Thunderbolt is it's it's perhaps less the defining Bond film, but it is possibly the defining Bond mania movie because it's mm. it was it was like I, I'm not up on the Beatles albums, but it was that album. It was that mid '60s Bond mania craze, and it's where it all again. I mean, Goldfinger perhaps cinematically changed everything, but Thunderball changed it in terms of the merchandise and the the, the sort of the global reach of the film outside of the movie houses. Uh, so I, I love. Thunderbolt for that, but I um it and I oddly the underwater stuff I've never had a problem with because it's I love the the, the sort of 
the uh, the the ballet of John uh, Barry's music, and I, I don't mind it. I don't think it slows down particularly. But yes, Bond is again a bit passive, like he is in um, in Goldfinger, and the plot sort of moves around and ahead of him, like Calvin said. It's certainly on my most recent viewing of it, which was a few months ago now, that I was like, oh, I, I actually quite enjoy this experience. And I, I think it's partly because of the whole travel log element of it. And I love that they filmed so much on location and the, it's mm. a gorgeous film to look at. Um, but yeah, it's just on, on, on the point of like the plot being ahead of Bond, like... I, I, I always thought of that as a negative thing, but then I was re-watching North by Northwest recently, right. and there's a point in that film where the audience is shown something and you are ahead of Cary Grant, like, and you, you were ahead of him for about an hour, understanding that he's kind of chasing a false lead and that there is no man that he's been mistaken for, and, and yet that works very well. But I, I don't know if that's because that's a film that doesn't really... Uh, put too much focus on the intricacies of the spies well, plot. It's more may, about whether may, he and Eve Marie Saint are going to get together. Maybe because, you know, Cary Grant plays an everyman character in that movie who is dragged along yeah. by the plot, whereas James Bond is supposed to be the protagonist. Right? That's true. Yeah, he's supposed to be ahead. Yeah. Mm. Yes, he's supposed to make things happen. Mm. So mm. Maybe, we, maybe we're missing the George Kaplan series of spy movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So is there any other movie that's kind of gone gone down in, in your personal views other than uh, for, we're just going to so- rag on Connery movies? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I was just going to say just on the Dalton films, um, which I never used to be a huge fan of, but I always enjoyed The Living Daylights. Again, on like a recent watch of the whole series, I came to appreciate License to Kill a lot more. Yep. And The Living Daylights kind of went down yep. somewhat in my Same ranking. For Same for me. R- really? Oh, yep. interesting. Um, I was just going to say on, on our previous installment, A.J. Uh, Chaudhry talked about how some of the Bond films skated by being examined closely. Um, but the thing was, once you had home video, actually, they did start to get that level mm. of examination, at least among Bond fans. And um, like You Only Live Twice, there's a ton of things that don't hold up. The timeline is weird. Um but again, you have to like, you almost have to like pause and like take notes. And it's like, you know, the film's not made to do that. Um, like in 1994, there was this uh, James Bond convention in Los Angeles. Peter Hunt was there. And Peter Hunt, you know, he was very polite, very British. But you could tell he was like annoyed at all these <laughs> geeks who had been like checking their VCRs and, and finding mistakes. And his basic point was, you know, he knew all the mistakes because he had to deal with them. And he like, made the decision <laughs> to put them in anyway. Yeah, and, 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 and also edit the film in such a way to speed you through it. So, so if you're in the theater and, you know, don't have a home video player, you don't, you notice it less. So, I, and, and, and one of the classic cases, going back to Thunderball, was the peeing dog <laughs> in the middle of the uh, junk canoe right. sequence. He had actually taken it out, and Broccoli or Saltzman or Bo said, where's the peeing dog? Like, well, I took it out. No, I put it back in. That's funny. So so we got a peeing dog in Thunderball. I didn't know that story. <laughs> if this episode is not called the peeing dog, I'll be very upset, okay? Right. <laughs> Calling right. it now. Well, last week, last week I had to last week I had to edit out all the stuff about sexual relations with dolphins. So <laughs> I missed you know. it. I missed it. I, 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 you you just bring me along for the tie boys one. Sorry. 
That's all right. <laughs> On the day of recording, it's exactly two years since Sir Roger passed away. Um, I thought we'd play out on a Roger Moore title song cover tonight. Um, so you guys can vote on, do you want one by Sporty Spice oh. or one by Scary Spice? <laughs> oh, oh, Sporty. I'll defer to you. Oh, Sporty's got the better yeah, voice. I would go with Sporty. Uh, hang on, wait, 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 which one's Sporty? He's the, the, the one in the tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't remember that one. All right, so Mel C's version of Fear Eyes Only it is then. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, everyone. This yeah. might be wrong. All right, thanks very much, guys. I will catch you next week. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The nights are never cold. You really know me. That's all I need to know. Get your clothes on, and I'll buy you an ice cream.